So, uh, it's good to see you all this morning. I don't know why I thought I was coming out of here. My fault. Uh, if you would, go ahead and stand. Uh, we're going to read our text for this morning. And we'll sing a song after it. Join with others in the following of my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. How do you explain? How do you describe a love that goes from east to west and runs as deep as it is wide? You know all our hopes. You know all our fears. All right. So um, many of you, most of you, this is probably not an unfamiliar place for you to be on a Sunday morning. Uh, For those of you that may be joining us for the first time or joining a church body in general for the first time, Um, you may find yourself having woken up in an unfamiliar place. So have I. Um, I don't do this. You won't see me here next week if you come back. Um, But I do want to... (laughs) I don't think, anyway, it's not the plan. Something crazy happens. Um, But I do want you to know, uh, regardless um, of which of those groups you fall into, uh, that that you are welcome here. Uh, We want to do all we can to uh, be welcoming, accommodating to you. Uh, We want you to feel... Uh, at home here, and we hope that if you are looking for a home, that maybe you find one here with us. Um, so that being said, I uh, just want to kind of present this thought to you, I guess. Uh, the burden of preaching is not in the rigorous preparation. It is not in the overcoming of a natural aversion to public speaking. It is not in ignoring your own insecurities about how people will react to the challenges you issue. The burden of preaching is to awaken spirits to an awareness of their brokenness, to point the sinner to the gospel of Christ, and to direct the saved sinner back to the gospel again this week in hopes that the coming weeks unfold better than the last ones. The great philosopher of our time, Steve Martin, uh, he once said that there are two groups of people in the world. Anybody familiar with Anybody know what's coming? Somebody's got to know what's coming. Okay. There, oh, don't go yet. Wait, hold on. Time out. Sorry. There are two groups of people in the world. Some of us have a way with words, and others of us not have way. I believe is how it went. Something like that. Now, now it, there's no doubt, I'm sure, that you've heard and seen many uh, different attempts to try to separate uh, the whole world into two groups of people. 
Um, you've seen some of those uh, much less noble attempts, um, and we're not going to talk about those. We're going to stay lighthearted today. But everybody's tried, I think, in some way to uh, separate the world into two groups of people. you got these ones and you got these ones. Well, I've got a couple, as you can see up here, that we're going to kind of talk about. Uh, we're going to do some interactive inquiry here, so whenever I point, I'm going to ask for one. Do Give me a show of hands uh, where you fall into. So here's this first one, a pretty divisive one. Uh, where are my Apple people? Yeah, sorry, we win. Um, <laughs> my Apple people, or my Android or Microsoft, you're well represented, it's fine. I know phones, computers, you got, there's a lot of different stuff you work with. It's not just what you're working with, maybe what you prefer, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm an Apple guy, I probably always will be. Uh, we can go to the next one. So how many... <laughs> this one has a... <laughs> I like this one. So, so who puts on sunscreen? Who deals with the consequences and puts on aloe? So when I was in high school, I dated an Italian girl who, uh, she didn't burn, so she, just, she never wore sunscreen. And I'm like, if she doesn't have to wear sunscreen, I'm not going to, and I, 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 don't, I don't, my skin does not work like hers did, so I burn now, and now I have a habit of applying the aloe afterwards. We can go to the next one. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to get into what condiment you prefer on your fries. However, who's a drizzler? Who drizzles on top of them? And we've got a couple. Very, this is a very underrepresented group of people, I'm realizing. It might be because, you know, I am asking people in a church, and y'all are probably like really organized type of people. But um, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you're not. That's fine, too. Who's a, so, and I'm guessing we're all puddlers here. Yes. The one... I did not mean for that to sound like that. Uh, for those of you, I will say that I'm a puddler, but at the same time... Does that mean something I don't know about? No, I'm not talking... Dipper, I'm a dipper. There we go. I'm a dipper. <laughs> Let me scribble that out. I'm not putting puddler on there. Uh, the exception, though, is if I'm at like a rodeo or like a carnival or something, and I gotta do a lot of it with my hands, and then it's just easier, right? I gotta go the expedient route. Okay, let's move on from that. Sorry. <laughs> you thought it was gonna get a little less personal. Um, paper away from you. Hmm. Okay, who's right? Yeah. I can't tear it if it's the other way around. I don't know why. Of course, I don't really... The other thing is, I don't really think about this. If it's one way or the other, I do like how public restrooms split the difference and just put it sideways. I wonder if that's intentional. Um, uh, but what was, I had something... Oh, yeah. I, this is... That, that's not the main thing I'm thinking of in the bathroom. That's like... That's commissioning my fantasy football team. So, I don't really think about the toilet paper. Uh, let's go to the next guy. Uh, who... This is basically, where is your obsessive nature point you toward... Who, who wants the dollar sign to be even? Okay, who wants the gas gallon thing to be even? That's fair. That's closer. Same time. See, now if they didn't set prices at one ninety nine and nine tenths, it'd be a lot easier. They're just driving us crazy on purpose, I think. Or one forty. Oh wow, I'm back in the past. It's like one thirty nine. Um, I, I let fate decide. I just kind of plug it in, and whenever it stops, whatever's closer, we go to that one. Uh, go down here. We've got a couple more left. Who finishes the puzzle? Who says, forget it, I'm done? That's, that's more like what I expected, pretty even split. Um, I tried to do this one on the left here uh, without looking at the numbers, and I decided that faced with that one in particular, I'd probably just go to the easier section um, and feel good about myself. I, got, I think I got one more here for you. David's going to love this one, I think. There are ten kinds of people in the world, those that know binary and those that don't. Yes? So I think a lot of people here don't know binary. Um, 
I'm like that. Yes, there it is. Continues giving me yes. Two base two system. Yes. Um, I personally, I don't know binary, but this one gets me every time. I kind of know it, but I can only count to ten. <laughs> so obviously, I mean, we had some fun here. You can go down. Uh, we've had some fun here, but what I'm trying to kind of get at is there's everyone's got some kind of framework for which I'm going to separate the world into two groups of people. I got these people and these people. Um, just socially speaking uh, and organizationally speaking, it can make you know our lives easier. Are you this? Are you this? Um, as we talked in the beginning, uh, this is a body. This is a family um, that is very inclusive. We are, I think, we're a very welcoming. Uh, place Kevin talked a couple weeks ago about Sabbath and welcoming and how those two kind of are, are linked together. Um, and I believe that welcoming uh, and inclusiveness are central to the teachings of Jesus. Uh, however, we come across a text this morning that seems to, I don't want to say exclude, but definitely separate people into two groups. Uh, it definitely distinguishes one from the other. And we're going to read this text again. I'm going to find out what those groups are. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. So then, my brothers and sisters, you are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. Now, what sticks out in this particular passage, before we say that, um, to to understand this little thought block, these couple of verses uh, throughout the week, kind of going through and then trying to figure out what this all means, and realizing, you know, I think we just need to take extend this to the entire chapter of Philippians three. Uh, so if you have that all on one page in your Bible, then great, good for you. Just keep that open. We'll be referring to different parts of the third chapter of Philippians to really try to understand what Paul's saying here, uh, specifically in this set of verses. We're going to look at verse 19 right now because there's a very unfamiliar, very odd-looking phrase um, when Paul describes these enemies of the cross. He says their end is destruction, their glory is their shame, and he says their God is their stomach. Uh, so at face value, we may look at that and go, okay, what, what would it look like for my God to be my stomach, to worship my stomach? Maybe gluttony? I don't know, you know, some kind of overeating type of a deal, or maybe, a, you know, I satisfy my flesh as I desire to. That's a possibility. Um, I try not to throw a little Greek stuff, because I know it doesn't really matter that much to, you know. But I'm going to use a little bit where it's necessary. And in this passage, we have a metaphor uh, that's similar to, if I were to say to you, um, you follow your heart. Uh, we'll call this the seat of human emotion. Um, for us, in English language, that's the heart. Uh, for these people then, that was their stomach. Like, think about how you would get butterflies in your stomach uh, if you were nervous or anxious about something. Um, so to take this a step further, what we're talking about here, um, you, so their word for this is the stomach, uh, the innards, the gut. Uh, also used metaphorically, as I've said, as the inner man or the inner human. Uh, the thing about yourself that your emotions are most attached to. Uh, whether that's achievements, uh, your pedigree, your family, uh, your money, whatever it is. Um, basically anything that makes you you. Anything that 
could be considered uh, self or selfish. Uh, we call that uh, for in here the stomach. The word, I want you to kind of remember it a little bit. It'll be easier to remember. The word is koilita. Uh, it's with a K. I was going to put it up there, but I didn't. Um, the word is koilita, and we get our word colon from that. So it gives you kind of a mental image of what we're talking about. Um, and the gut, the stomach. So Paul says that only enemies of the cross put their faith in their koilita, in their gut, in their achievements and what they consider themselves to be. So why is that important? Well, we're going to go back up to the top of the chapter. So if you want to follow along in the first verse of Philippians, and we're going to go through about six of these. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. For, watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh, although I once had confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So why is it important that Paul says not to trust in our own accomplishments? Why is that important? Because if anyone had the right to trust in their own accomplishments, it was Paul. Paul was born into the right uh, tribe, the tribe of Israel. He was born into the right family within that tribe, the favorite son of the favorite wife of Israel himself. A uh, Hebrew born of Hebrews, he was born, he was not converted into this, this religion or this, this tribe. He was born into it from both of his parents being Hebrews. Uh, he, he fulfilled the law according to his zeal. How passionate was he about the law? He persecuted the church. How, how, how much did he, oh man, I get really excited. How, his Pharisee, he's a Pharisee among Pharisees, he says. Uh, the most noble profession that a Jew could really have. Um, he had it. Not only that, but he was on the fast track probably uh, to be the top dog rabbi. In other places, we hear that he trained under a man named Gamaliel, uh, who was referred to in New Testament once or twice or three times as the wisest, the, the predominant uh, rabbi of the time. So Paul has literally everything going for him. He studied under the best teacher. He climbed the corporate ladder in the most noble profession of his people, and he was found righteous according to the law. That's something that I think we can skip over sometimes and not really understand. Paul says there's a righteousness to be found in the law, and he achieved it. Paul says, guys, according to the law that has existed since the dawn of, since Moses walked down from Sinai, I'm perfect. Literally says, I am without blame. Paul has everything, and he chooses to acknowledge none of it. In fact, he doesn't just forget it. This is important, too. I think we can kind of tend to take this attitude towards something that could, you know, if, if I have all this, you know, if I have these degrees, I have this, you know, this, this track, this history, uh, this pedigree that I could lift up on a pedestal and say, look at me, I have all these. I think we can say, this is great, but it's not as good as Jesus. Uh, I do think it's not as good as Jesus, but I don't know if Paul would even say it's all that great. I think Paul would say, not only is it not as good, not only is it 
not worth acknowledging, but it is a loss. He says it is detrimental. He doesn't count it as nothing. It would be one thing, in fact, to consider it nothing. But what we miss, I think, is that he actually says all these things that I should point to to boost my credibility, these are hindrances to me and my goal. To just illustrate how much of a loss he says it is, we're going to read in verses 7 through 9 here, Philippians 3. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but the one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Where your Bible here says filth or rubbish or trash or garbage, Marla came up to me and said that hers said dung. Uh, That's the one, the last one that gets it, I think, the most. Uh, This word literally translated, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I think I might get in trouble, but it's a really nasty Greek word. It only happens once in the whole Bible, really. A really nasty Greek word for what you'll find in your kolita. If you understand what I'm saying, we get it? We get the, okay, we can move on now. We can be adults about this. That's how, that, this is the intense language that Paul says to, that Paul is describing his achievements by, that Paul is describing his pedigree by. This is Texas, so I'm pretty sure I can use football analogies and most people will understand what I'm saying. This is a running back with the game on the line, losing and kneeling on the one yard line as time expires. This is an executive being offered chief executive officer of Google or Apple or where, whatever you, you know, ally yourself with, complete with the expense accounts, the relocation expenses, the company Lexus, and he says, no thanks, I'd be better off unemployed. This is the scholar with a doctorate from Harvard who throws her diploma in the garbage can. This is crazy. This is madness. I can almost assure you, in fact, I think I can assure you that there's not a single Philippian reading this letter for the first time thinking, hmm, yeah, it looks legit. I can guarantee you it didn't happen. Because it doesn't make sense. Because it doesn't sound legit. Because it's madness. Till we understand what he's saying in the context of what he's saying. Back to verse 8. I consider everything to be loss. Why? How? In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And in verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I'll somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul counts everything he accomplished apart from Christ as a hindrance to achieving any good thing found in Christ. Paul throws all his credentials out the window because he knows that anything that is not Jesus deters him from knowing Jesus. Glad we get two services because I get to go through this whole thing twice um, and hear things again. And, and it really, it's been a blessing, honestly, to be away from the, 
the, the leading the worship part of it and being able to you know just soak in uh, congregationally in a different way than I might um, in a different way. And for some reason, this time singing, how beautiful is the body of Christ, and singing in that bridge, which hopefully I'll remember the words in a second. Don't scroll up, I can do this. As he laid down his life, we offer this sacrifice that we might live just as he died. How? Willing to pay the price. As he died willing to pay the price, might we live willing to pay the price. I'm going to throw something at you. This is, this is a little, this is, off, this is off the note. This might be a rabbit, but follow me with it. I think, again, this is, this is my opinion, I think we might have a little bit of an issue, a little bit of a problem with how we view our blessings. I think we might have, I don't know if we're quite zeroed in on what this text describes as a biblical view of achievement, of blessing, again with quotes, um, of prosperity. I don't know that we view that the way that Paul is viewing that. I think we can tend to, to think, you know, these great things that I have, and I've been blessed to live in this country and to have this, you know, this great job, I think we see those things as, as oh, this, and I'll use this to glorify God. I'll use this uh, to put God, to elevate God. And I don't think that's a wrong thing. But I do want us to think a little bit about that. I want us to be considering, how do we view blessing? How do we view things that we might regard otherwise as, God gave me this? Did God give me this? Uh, Paul achieves a whole, whole lot apart from Christ. You know, if anybody walks in and tells you, to those of you, whether you're visiting or whether you're not, if somebody walks in and tells you, hey, you should be a Christian, you should get in with this church thing because it will make your life easier, that's not a promise that's found in, the, in, in Scripture. It's not a promise that Jesus makes. So where is the hope? So where is, where is the hope? At some moment in your life, in my life, every one of us has served koilita. Every one of us has served self. Every one of us has regarded ourselves above God, regardless of whether we knew God at the time or not. And according to this text, every one of us has lived or is living as an enemy of the cross. God is not impressed with our accomplishments. He does not marvel at the wealth we accumulate, nor at the lump sums that we give away to nonprofits. He's not impressed with your church clothes. He's not impressed with how long you've been here. He's not impressed with your good job or your good family. Paul counts all these things as loss. Not as things that will draw him closer to God, but if anything, things that he needs to get over. Things that he needs to disregard in order to press on toward his goal of knowing Christ and knowing the power of his resurrection. Conforming to his suffering and being like him in death. I asked you where the hope was and then I didn't give you the hope yet. It's okay, we're going to get some hope. Because just as the good things that we do 
do not bring us any closer, just as the, as the accomplishments and the, and, and the stuff of the world that we've accumulated, just as that does not bring us closer to God, our sin and our service to self and our God as our stomach, the times that we've chosen us over God, chosen self, chosen wealth, chosen pride over God, just as the good things cannot bring us closer, the bad does not push him further away. The bad does not cause God to love us any less. It does not lessen his mercy. It does not lessen his grace. Here's, here's the power. Here's the restoration. Here is, here's the key, I think, in this text. When Paul describes these enemies of the cross, when he describes the people who, who serve self, he describes them. And he says, you know, this is, these are some attributes of people who do this. When he transitions to, but we are citizens of heaven, what does he say? He says, we eagerly await a Savior who will come and restore us and will transform our lowly bodies, our humble bodies. Flesh is important in this text because here it's flesh without hope. But here it's flesh with the hope of being restored. There is, no, there, there is no quick fix. There is no immediate transition to, now I'm a citizen of heaven and everything's better. No, the only difference between the citizen of heaven and the enemy of the cross is that the citizen of heaven is looking forward and is anticipating salvation and restoration from Jesus. So there's two types of people in the world. Those without hope and those with hope. Those with flesh and blood. Those with flesh and blood that will be restored to be like the beautiful, glorious body of Christ. While one is broken, the other is also broken, but merely awaits that transformation, awaits and and goes through and, and experiences this process by which that hopeful person is made more and more like God, like Christ's glorious body. So if we can't get God's attention with the stuff, and as long as we have sin in our life, we're kind of, we're separated, that there's nothing that can bridge that chasm. There's no good work, there's no spiritual work, there's no physical work that we can do to achieve that communion with God, then where is that hope? The 51st Psalm tells us that there is one thing that turns God's heart to ours. It is not a sacrifice of praise, of time, of money, of gifts, but a broken spirit, a broken, contrite heart. And if we're honest, all of our hearts are broken, all of our spirits are broken. All of our beings are fallen. But the one who recognizes it has hope and has God's heart turned to theirs. Because our God is a healer. He is a restorer. Among broken things, he can be found because he is in the business of mending broken things. And my burden this morning, as I told you at the beginning is merely to awaken awareness of us, uh, regardless of if you've been here 50 years or you've been here 10 minutes, of your broken spirit 
and of the healer who wants to mend it. We're going to stand and sing in just a little bit. We're going to have some of the leaders of this church to surround the walls and the, and the perimeters of the building. And, and uh, if you need prayers, if you need uh, anything really from this church that we can help you with, that we can be here with you with, uh, I ask you to use that. I ask you to use that. Uh, those of you, as you saw this morning when we celebrated in a new birth, we celebrated in, in a resurrection uh, we celebrated that this morning. If that's something that you want, I ask you to make that call today. Uh, I ask you to put Christ on and begin that process of transformation, uh, to begin the process of mending your broken spirit. So if that's what you need, um, if you would come down to the front, if you would come down and find anybody uh, around this, these walls that will be praying, Uh, We ask you to do that as we now stand and sing.